about the encounter that Moses has with the living God in the burning bush. Um, lots of uh, messages have been given in this uh, stories you thought you knew series. Um, three weeks ago, Pastor Brian gave a message in which he talked about New Exodus. He talked about the fact that um, just as Israel was needing to be delivered from the hands of the Egyptians, Jesus Christ delivers us from the hands of sin, from death and from sin. Our taskmaster is sin instead of the taskmasters in the, in the nation of Egypt that were over Israel, and that we can be delivered from that. We can experience a new exodus. And then last week, uh, Dylan really set me up for a great, great message by talking about vibrant relationships and, um, and that uh, we need to look through uh, a lens of relationship rather than a lens of activity or rules or ritual. And uh, today, we're going to be diving down into what, is it, what does it take for us to actually have a vibrant relationship with Christ? And we're going to learn it from the life of Moses today. And so, before we actually jump into the text, I just want to give you a little bit of background of what is happening for those of you that might be new to the text or need to be reminded. In Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2, um, we, we have some key s phrases related to what has happened uh, in the life of the nation of Israel. So Israel came into Egypt at, as a result of a worldwide famine. And Joseph was sent on in front in fr by his brothers who, who sold him into captivity, and he became favored within the kingdom of Egypt. And he actually became second in command. And one of the things God told him was, there's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And we want you to store up um, all of the grain uh, that has been, uh, been, been harvested during the seven years of, of, uh, of, of plenty so that you have enough for the seven years of, plan of famine. Moses wisely did that. He had massive distribution centers that would put Amazon to shame. And uh, he stored up all of this, all of this uh, grain. And now the nations of the world were coming to Egypt in order to be able to survive. That's how Egypt entered into, uh, into Egypt. Um, the Hebrew people uh, within Egypt had now been in Egypt uh, for 430 years. So generation after generation after generation was, uh, was in the land of Egypt. The nation of Israel grew and multiplied in number to be a significant size of people within the land of Egypt. In fact, the king of Pharaoh was so concerned about the size of the people of, of Egypt that he decided that he needed to put them, he needed to subvert them to slave labor in order to be able to build cities and, and significant artifacts for the Egyptians, and so he appointed taskmasters over them, and they were, they were enslaved in working, toiling day after day in building these cities and building these huge artifacts. Um, Moses was born into a time when um, the people kept being, kept being fruitful and multiplying, and, he, and the, the, the king of Egypt issued an edict and said every male that is born from a Hebrew household needed to be executed, needed to be thrown into the Nile. And so that's, the, that's the, the setting for which Moses is born. And Moses' parents, by faith, uh, hid him for three months as after he was born as a young child. And when they couldn't hide him anymore, related to that, they fashioned a little boat, um, a, a little basket, if you will, put him in, place him in the basket with bitch, uh, pitch and <laughs> bitumen, uh, and, and, and it allowed it to float and set it into the reeds. And... Um, and they devised this plan that the daughter of Pharaoh would come down 
and her servants as she's bathing might see Moses in the reeds and maybe God would have favor on them. And so that is exactly what happens. One of the servants of Pharaoh's daughter comes, sees Moses in the basket, sees the basket, hears the baby crying most likely, and goes and picks up the basket. And the text says that um, the, the daughter of Pharaoh had pity upon the child. The child was beautiful, we find out later but had pity upon the child and took it in to be his own. And the sister of the mother of Moses was standing by watching these things to make sure that Moses um, would survive. And she came to the daughter of Pharaoh and says, could you, could you um, need help? Do you, do, you have so, do you have a nurse maid that could take care of this child? Because I know of one. And so Pharaoh's daughter says, go. And so gets the mom of Moses to actually nurse the child for three months without a fear of him being taken. Um, he was allowed to be able to do that. Moses then uh, is given over to, um, to the Pharaoh's daughter and is raised there. And the scene which we're, we're going to be enjoying today in God's text in, uh, in, in Exodus chapter 3 is 40 years after Moses has been born. And so Moses is now 40 years old. He was... Um, knew, knew that he was a Hebrew, but was raised as an Egyptian in Pharaoh's household. And now he, um, he basically um, went out into the, in, into the Egyptian courtyard one day, stood out of the palace, saw his people being oppressed. His anger burned within him, saw an Egyptian that was, uh, was beating, was, uh, was brutalizing one of, uh, one of the Israelites, and he, his justice got the better of him, and he killed him killed the Egyptian, buried him in the sand, looked this way and that way, so no, and tried to do it when no one was looking. Uh, the next day, he comes and he sees two um, Israelites quarreling, fighting, and he tries to break up the fight, and, uh, and they say, who, who made you boss? Who made you ruler? Um, are you going to kill me just like you killed the Egyptian? And at that point, Moses is terrified and runs for his life to the land of Midian. He's now in Midian for another 40 years. Gets married, has two kids, develops his own life within the land of Midian, and now Moses is 80 years old, and we encounter him at the burning bush. God encounters him at the burning bush. If you're ready to jump into our text, say jump. Father, we thank you for the text of Scripture that we're about to look forward to and, and examine the patterns of transformation within it. We ask that you would use it in our lives this morning to make us more like you so that we might have a vibrant relationship with you and ultimately that we can be transformed into something that you can use and something that gives you glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, our text. Um, I'm, what I want to do is I want to just see, so, show the, the one other text before we get to Exodus chapter 3, if you'll, if you'll forgive me and give me that. I want to show you a Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's an interesting phrase, fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ 
greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking forward to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkled blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. Here's what Hebrews has to say in the Hall of Faith chapter within Hebrews chapter 11 about Moses. It's a very different guy than the guy we're going to encounter in Exodus chapter 3. What happened in the space between personal transformation and encounter with the living God that created a man of faith, not a perfect man, but a man who believed and trusted in God. I believe that's what you and I need today. We need encounters with with the living God to transform our lives so that we might become people that give him glory people that proclaim his name and people look at us and say, I see the difference that God is making in your life. I want to know him too. And so this is the, this is the, the trans, tr- transition that's happening. I have a chart that shows this in, in Hebrews, so let's just look at that real quickly. The transformation of Moses. So the first column is his first leaving Egypt when, after he kills the Egyptian and f- flees to the land of Midian. Um, so he's, he's living off the, the faith of his parents rather than personalized faith in God. He had justice out of control. That's why he committed murder. Uh, he's fleeing out of fear uh, for the, the king, the Egyptian king, was going to kill him for killing an Egyptian. So he's fleeing out of fear, moving to, moving to Midian. And he's shepherding now. When we pick up in, in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, he's shepherding sheep in the wilderness of Midian. Where we see him in Hebrews chapter 11 is he has personal faith in a living God. He's following God's plan for justice. He's he's asking God to show him his strength. So much so that in in Exodus chapter 14, um, when the nation of Israel is being delivered from the hands of the Egyptians and they're standing at the Red Sea and God hardens Pharaoh's heart and he brings all of his troops, all of his chariots to bear upon uh, the nation of Israel. You have this interesting phrase in Exodus 14. And then we'll get get into our true text right after this. But this this is a picture of Moses now as a man of faith. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And that's a man of faith. Like, how did that happen in his his life? Well, that gets us to our, our, our main point for this morning's message, and that is that Fresh encounters with the greatness of God lead to personal transformation. And in the burning bush, Moses is having a fresh encounter with the living God. My, my, just my punchline for you today is you and I need fresh encounters with the living God. And we'll get there in a moment as we turn to our text. So the first thing that we see in uh, 
first point from the text that I want to take a look at as we read it is turn aside to encounter God in a fresh way. Exodus 3, verses 1 through 24. That's our first point, so let's jump into the text so that we can see that together. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, or Mount Sinai, other passages talk about, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. So our first point in the text of the message that comes straight out of the text is turn aside to encounter God in a fresh way. Obviously, the burning bush was a miracle. By that, I mean that it was a God-ordained event designed to provoke the attention of Moses. But he had to turn. You and I um, need to be faithful in our relationship with God to continually turn to him. And Moses, ma Moses made this attempt. So he, he had grown, he was... He, for 40 years, he was being taught all about the Egyptian gods. And now he was encountering the living God. And so his encounter with the living God is changing his life in this very moment. Moses, Moses, God cries out. So much has been made about the burning bush, and uh, rather than um, the stories you thought you knew would be for me to stand up here and talk about the burning bush as the big thing, and it's really not the big thing, it's the living God encountering Moses. That's the, that's the story you thought you, thought you knew, you thought you were going to come to hear all the scientific explanations for how a bush could be burning and yet not consumed. And believe me, scholars have written volumes on this subject. If you're really interested in that, uh, some, of them, uh, some of them say it's a shaft of light reflecting on the bush. So the bush wasn't really burning. It was just, it looked like it was. Others say it was volcanic eruptions that surrounded the bush. So fire was all around the bush, but not consuming the bush. Others said that it was a lightning strike on the bush. And so the glow of the lightning was happening when Moses looked, but the bush had not started on fire as of yet. I believe that the God who spoke the universe into existence can make a burning bush that's not consumed. So I'm not going to spend my time trying to hypothesize how did this happen. I believe God made it happen, which goes to kind of my first key thing, and that is that God goes to great lengths to get our attention to begin the work of personal transformation. He goes to great lengths. He did it for Moses. He wanted to get his attention. He does it for us. The way that he gets our attention today is through the cross of Christ. It's through the gospel. 
So the, the conundrum is not that a bush is on fire and not burning. The conundrum is that God is holy and yet he allows his son to die for you and for me and for our sin. It's not about a bush that's not being consumed. It's about a fact that I'm broken and God is bringing me healing through Jesus Christ. It's that my sins, as many as I've committed, are now forgiven in Jesus Christ. And so turning to him is the best option for you and for me. And I pray that if you have not had what the scriptures call a bush moment, meaning that you've turned to God and you've embraced him by faith and begun a relationship with his, with his son, Jesus Christ, that today would be your day to have that first encounter with Jesus Christ. The burning bush has been described as um, two different things within, by scholars. They've, they've called it a, a theophany. A theophany is a manifestation of God's presence. Up till the burning bush, God was transcendent, and apart from his promises to Abraham, he was uh, not involved in the day-to-day -day activities of man, but in the burning bush moment, God is present on earth and continues to be for the nation of Israel through a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud as he leads them out of Israel. And so the presence of God is now available um, to the people of God at that time in the nation of Israel. And so it's a significant moment in the life of Moses when his name is being called by the Lord God. It's a theophany. It's a manifestation of God's presence. It might even be a Christophany, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus himself calling to Moses his name and asking him to place his faith in an amazing, great God as where his confidence would be. So without the, the, the burning bush encounter, Moses would have not been the leader that we know him to be today. Without um, the, the, the cross of Jesus Christ intersecting our life and the person of Jesus intersecting our life, we would not be the people that we are today. And God is asking us to come after him with fresh encounters of him. As I thought about this, there was, a, there was a slide by an author by the name of John Stott that came to my mind. John Stott, who was an Anglican pastor in the 80s and 90s and a key leader of the Ang evangelical movement, had this to say, the cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled, but we have to get near enough to it for its sparks to fall on us. Fresh encounters with the living God require us to turn aside and to spend moments focusing upon the God and the greatness of God and all that he is for us and his great works that he does for us. Have you turned, in, turned aside to embrace Jesus Christ by faith? Have you entered into a relationship with the God of the universe that we just sang about prior to this message? There are many people in this room that would love to pray for you and to embrace you and to encourage you today if you make that move. 
we'd encourage you to turn aside. But it's not just for a first-time experience. Turning aside to God is a regular interval in our life as believers that we need fresh encounters with the Lord. Not only do you need to turn aside for fresh encounters with God, but in order to live a life of faith, Moses found out and we find out that we need to establish some spiritual anchors in our life. Grounded in God's presence, character, and promises. Our first uh, point of an anchor here is anchor your faith in the, in, the, in the knowledge that God knows. Now, I was, I was studying the passage and trying to understand what was happening in Exodus chapter 2, 23 to 25. I added four additional words to that statement. You might want to write them down. And that is, um, anchor your faith in the knowledge that God knows and is with you. Because God's coming down in this passage, to be with his people. Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 24, we find these words. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. If you're here today and you're struggling under the weight of a trial or a difficult circumstance like the nation of Israel was, you, not, you may not be enslaved um, by Egyptians, but you might be enslaved in sin. You may not be, um, you may ha be having issues with health or finances or relationships, and you're struggling. This morning, I want you to know and I want you to embrace the God who knows. He knows you. He not only calls you by name, but he knows all about you, and he knows about your circumstances. So the first thing we're going to draw out of the text we just read is that God heard their groaning, their cry. God hears our persistent and fervent prayer. That's what I believe the crying is, persistent and fervent prayer. And he strengthens and calms our hearts when we cry out to him. Vibrant relationships lead to personal transformation are characterized by fervent and persistent prayer that is anchored in the knowledge that God hears us. In May of this year, Don and I celebrated 38 years of marriage. And it was, it was a really great time to be uh, doing that and to be um, just acknowledging the woman that I love and the woman who has meant so much to me over these years. Our marriage hasn't been per perfect. Here I go, knocking that. Um, our, our marriage hasn't been perfect. We've, we've struggled. We've had issues, for sure. But one of the things that I enjoy so much about Dawn is that her devotion to the Lord. She's an early riser. I'm not. 
She gets up early in the morning, and often when I struggle to get out of bed and come downstairs to see her, she's got her Bible open, she's got her notepad next to her that's, that's full of prayer requests or notes of the scriptures that she's just taken, and she is anchoring her heart and her life in who God is. And for years, I let her do that independently of me. And then I would do my own um, kind of study in God's word and my own prayer time. And uh, so this is under the banner of crying out to the Lord. Um, recently, what we've been doing is we've been actually getting together and crying out to God fervently for things in our life. And I want to tell you that that has taken our relationship to a whole new level. When you um, cry out with a partner uh, for the things that God is, and you're desiring God to do those things, uh, in your life, whether it's a trial or a struggle that you're going through or whether it's something that your kids are going through or whether it's something your grandkids are going through and you are uniting your hearts together in crying out fervently for the Lord, God, in the midst of that prayer, does something great with your relationship. So men in the room that are married, my challenge to you today is don't wait like I did. Start embracing your wife in, in a crying out experiences to God. Make a commitment to cry out together before the Lord. You'll see it do amazing work of transformation in your marriage. And so um, I just want to encourage you with that. that um, it's, and remember, it's a worship move. Crying out together to the Lord is a worship move that will uh, take your relationship to another level. So not only... Um, does he hear our cries? He remembers his covenant, his promises to Abraham. He remembers his gospel promise that he's made to us. So see in the text that we have that, um, that the Lord um, hears their cry and God hears their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So he remembers the covenant that he's made. It's not that he's forgotten the covenant, it's that he's bringing it to mind again. My commitment to God's people that I have made for Abraham was to make you a nation like the sands of the seashore or the stars in the heaven. He's fulfilling that promise by delivering Israel from the land of Egypt. The promise he's made in Christ that you are not alone, you are, you are purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a blood-bought child of God, and I am wanting to do and work in you so that you might glorify my name. He remembers that promise, and God is faithful at keeping his promises uh, to us. Then um, God saw. God saw um, God's transcendent. He's amazing. He's great. He's the creator of all of the universe, and yet he sees into our life and knows the circumstances that we are going through currently. In verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. God sees. The idea is, I will be with you. And then finally, um, God, God knows, God knew. God knows our trials, our capacity to endure. Um, he knows our suffering. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. God knows the suffering that we're going through. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, is another great passage that talks about temptations um, and how God works in our temptations. The word, the, the, the Greek word used for temptations there can be translated either temptations or trial within scriptures based on the context. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, both are going on. There are, there, Israel's in the midst of a, tri a trial that's being reflected and there's temptations that are happening. So this passage could be read this way. No trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and not, uh, will not let you be tried beyond your ability. But with the trial, he will also provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. God knows our trials and is carefully orchestrating them in our lives to bring about transformation. That's his, that's his goal. So God, God not only hears and God sees and God, God knows, but notice with me this last one from the text in Exodus chapter three, um, when we get down to verse four, God knows, God calls Moses by name inviting him into a personal relationship. Just as God knew the name of Moses in Exodus 3, 4, Jesus knows your name. In John 10, 3, we have this I am the shepherd moment of Jesus' teaching, and, and just as a shepherd knows his sheep and they know his voice, he calls them and he calls them by name. Jesus Christ as great, imagine this, the, the author of the universe, he spoke and the worlds came into existence, knows your name, knows your circumstances, knows you, wants to know you personally. Jesus Christ is calling you by name to join him in a relationship that leads to personal transformation. So not only um, are we to turn aside to encounter this God, the text says, that's pattern number one. Make regular times in your life to turn aside to consider the God of the universe. That's a worship move, church. But now anchor your faith in the knowledge that God knows and is with you. Know that as you're walking through the struggles of this life, God is with you in the midst of it and he wants to encourage and support and comfort and give you strength and peace in the midst of it. And then finally, anchor your faith in the character of God. Anchor your faith in the character of God. Moses inter interacting with God here uh, has several different defining moments of God's character. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Then he said, this is God speaking, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The first thing he's, Moses is uh, impacted by is that this is a holy moment, the holiness of God. The Lord says, this is holy ground. And immediately when um, the Lord declares himself holy, he means that he's set apart from. 
Moses, you know all those other Egyptian gods that you have been learning about in your 40 years of being in Egypt? I'm not like any of them. There is no one like me. I'm set apart. I am holy. And I'm calling you right now to myself to set you apart as a part of my people. And I want you to become a leader of my people. And so Moses is experiencing the, the presence of, of the holiness of God. Uh, there, there are moments within the Old Testament where the holiness of God shines through. And one of my favorite ones is in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is in the throne room of God. And um, he's overcome with the presence of God as the train of God fills the temple. And he, he responds by saying, I'm a man of unclean lips. His, his move when experiencing the worship, uh, worship of God, the holiness of God, is to worship him and to get low. Moses is doing the same thing. He's hiding his face, and I believe he's getting low at the holiness of God, the separateness of God, the holy otherness of God. Sometimes in our Christian lives, I believe that somehow we've determined that God is just enough to satisfy the needs and wants that I have in my life. He is so much greater than that. He is so much bigger than that. And so the name of God is that he's a holy God, that he is an omnipotent God, all-powerful God. And Moses is experiencing that personally in this call of God through the burning bush. The second thing that strikes me here in the text that we read is we understand the faithfulness of God. The God of generations before you, the God of promise, the promise to Abraham, to your father, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And so now we need to think of God as not just our God in this time in space, but the God of generations of believers throughout the millennium that have occurred um, pre-incarnate Christ as well as since, um, so B.C. as well as A.D. And um, the character of God, the faithfulness of God. One of the passages that I really love that depicts this is in Hebrews chapter 12, which talks about running a race. But before you get to the race part, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. There it is. All of these saints that have come before you in Hebrews chapter 12 follows Hebrews chapter 11, which is like the hall of faith chapter where you have all these faithful men and women of God that are on display for how they are living their life in faith to God. And now, therefore, since you have such a great cloud of witnesses standing around you, cheering you on, let let us also lay aside every weight of sin which so easily, which, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the God who is faithful to generation after generation after generation. He loves not only you, but he, he's going to love your kids. He's going to love your grandkids. 
His love knows no limit, no bound. I was just amazed at uh, understanding the greatness of who God is. He's not only the God for Christ church, he's the God of the nations. He's the God of generations within the nations. And, uh, and, and yet he wants to have a personal relationship with you and with me. So the Lord is faithful to his promises, faithful to his people, generation after generation. The last thing we see here related to the character of God is the names of God. The Lord introduces the name of God. Moses goes on this thing of like um, issues that he has for now because he's, God has basically said, I have this plan. I've come down to deliver the nation of Israel and I want you to go and be my vessel for making this happen. And Moses has five different excuses that he has within the text for not making it happen. Sounds just like me. Uh, no, Lord, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't know that I can handle this on my own. Um, Lord, I'm not eloquent of speech. Lord, I, 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 who, who should I say sent me if they ask me? Um, and God responds um, with this text. Exodus um, chapter three, verses 13 to 15. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and they say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said, Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The name that God uses in the term Lord is the name Yahweh. And the name Yahweh, I've got a chart up here in terms of the names of God. And if we go to that chart, I've listed out the name Yahweh. It was written without consonants first, but the Hebrews were so uh, thought the name was so sacred, didn't want to speak it, so they started to put vowels in, and there you got Yahweh. Um, and then they changed the name to Jehovah because they could pr pronounce the name Jehovah and it wasn't quite as fearful or as ominous as the name Yahweh. But I am who I am. I am the self-sufficient one. I, I exist without needing anyone. All of life is found in me. I am the preeminent one. I hold all things together, Colossians chapter one says of Jesus Christ. I am the one who, in, in, if you find me, you have found everything you need for life and godliness. And then he goes on to say, here are all the things that Jehovah is to the people. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need to call on, on my people to do things. I, I'm in perfect relationship with the Godhead, with the Trinity, but I want to be this for you out of my great love for you. So my, my desire for you as we close is to pick 
a couple of these names of God and incorporate them into your prayer life. Study them as part of your devotional life. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Maybe you're at a spot right now where you're asking for God's provision. You don't know what's going to happen, where the next paycheck is even coming from. Know that the character of God is that he will provide for you. And so this list is a list of names. There's lots of other names for the Lord found within scriptures, but this one about Yahweh, Jehovah God, and all the names that are there are to be used as an understanding to help us understand and to help us experience the love of the Lord in our life, that he might begin to transform our faithlessness to being faithful found in him. So today we've examined the pattern for personal transformation. We said it's turning aside. Turning aside uh, to encounter God in a fresh way. And church, I want to encourage you to take some time, even this week, to do that. Outside of this service, spend some time with the Lord to encounter him. Second, anchor your faith in the knowledge that God knows and will be with you. The God of the universe sees you, sees your circumstance, sees your need, and loves you. Be comforted by him. And then thirdly, anchor your faith in the character of God, his holiness, his faithfulness, the names of God that depict his character to us. And as we conclude today's message, I want to give you an opportunity to reflect and respond to God's word by asking you three simple questions. Question number one. Have you had your burning bush moment? Have you come to the cross of Christ and embraced him by faith? He loves you. He's calling out your name. And he wants you to run to him and to know him and to love him. Do you need to embrace the God who knows because you're in the midst of a struggle, of a trial that seems overwhelming? Know that he knows. Know that he loves. Know that he cares. Know that he's faithful. And the third and final question is, how is the character of God impacting your relationship with God? Come to the Lord in your prayer times and say, thank you, Father, for being my Jehovah Jireh, for being my provider. Thank you that anything that I need, you have. Help us to change the way that we pray, the way that we depend upon you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of Moses and the burning bush, for the personal transformation that we see playing out in the man called Moses. Help us to turn aside to the cross and the person of Christ, that you would have our full attention today. Thank you that you're calling out to us. You're calling out our name. You know us. You know our circumstances. You know our failures. You know the battles that we are facing. You know 
you know all about us. Thank you for loving us and for being with us. Help us to anchor our faith in the truth that you know us and are with us. Help us to cry out to you in these days, believing that you will hear us and you'll bring about personal transformation as we trust you. We thank you for your character that's been revealed to us today from your word, your holiness, for all that you are, for being set apart. There is none like you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness to us and to all the generations of Christians that have gone before us. We are thankful that you have demonstrated your love for us in Christ. Thank you for the names of God that reveal more of your character. Help us to learn more about you through the study of your names. I pray that you would strengthen our faith in these days, that the anchors of our faith are found in you and all that you are able to do for your children. We thank you, Father, for the fresh encounter that we can have with you. Thank you that you were longing for it, that you were calling us for it, we pray that you would help us to respond appropriately now as we close our time together by singing a chorus of re-surrender. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.